Welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of NYC. Lord help us, New York City, go back to the old way, but we'll have to deal with the gentrification. But for now, since it's all gentrified and clean and serene, I'll keep it clean and serene for you all. Why do I say that? Because I'm going to bring up one of the most classiest fellas I know. He always dressed well. He always had the tailored shirts. He used to wear these tight sham shirts because he was always bodybuilding. He used to have it with the blue cut. Remember all that. You see what I'm saying? He's already laughing. So that's what I'm saying. Clean us and real. We're going to be real, real tight. You that V, V neck. He'd be like, yo, man, what's up, baby? He'd be like, always, you always be looking right, right. So I want to welcome from London, UK, London, England, London. Bloody Grey England. Bloody Grey. Frankie. Yo, DJ yo, Frankie yo, Fonse. Frankie Fonse. Lenny, Lenny, Lenny. Me and you go way, way back. And not only are you super talented, you're an amazing, amazing guy. The oh. first time we met, it was always love, you know? And it's really, really a real pleasure to be here with you today. Let's say this. Frankie said to me, you're Lenny? I said, you're Frankie? Oh, my God. That's how we did. This lady's yeah, like, it was great. oh, I love your records. He said, I love your records. I was like, it's always love. It's always love. Great always guy. Love, Used to be very jealous because he had the physique. He didn't have to work out. Had. Not now. Not now. Oh, back <laughs> in the day. He didn't do much. Back in the day. I did okay. I did okay. He didn't do much. He just come out. He come in his what I call that jumpsuit. He be ready all caught up and stuff. I'm like, what do you got to do? I'm still looking to be going. I got to work like this. Anyway, welcome to the show, brother. And thank you. Great to be here. Love the show. Love the show. Before we get started, give people some time to jump on in. Um, COVID. I always ask everybody, how have you been doing with it before we start talking about the history? To be fair, um, you know, I'm doing my tailoring thing now, and I was actually at home for the whole year. But I had, for me, I feel terrible for all the people that, family members or were ill. As we know, our brother, uh, Bobby and Steve, you know, they're still, you know, and I send my love to those guys. These guys are my brothers and my heart, and they're one of many people that were affected by this. Um, but for me, I just took time, I chilled, I got all my studio stuff at home, I learned how to get all my, my back catalogue of stuff that I had on as MP3s on CDs, I got it all into library and I got nice with it and I learned how to, to put it down and so for me it was a good time to rest my body, um, reflect and also I started mixing and doing like making like doing dj mixes and stuff and i got all all my setup all hooked up so being in lockdown so being in lockdown really helped you yeah, I, would have, I, would have, I would have never ever been able to get the time to do that stuff because i was constantly like having a little play around on tractor but i would never have a time to like concentrate and do all the playlist and you know master like the controller and and you know just get up to date really you know because when i stopped spinning i was playing around with ableton right i wanted something that was hands-on you know because you know i want to get busy you know 
Um, so for me, it was great. I, I might have managed to get a nice setup at home and learn how to do everything. And I've just been banging out mixes, soul, R&B, house, club music, classics. But I'm stuck on classics because, you know, I really love doing that. That's what, where my heart is. Um, but it's just amazing, you know, what you can do with the new equipment, you know. We, you know, we used to walk across London to go get one record. It'd take you the whole day. Then you had to come all the way back home to listen to it. Now, that's something, and that's something for one record. Yeah. And, and you couldn't check if the guy was in. You just had to go there. Because he said, I'll be in around this time. You have to go maybe from like the equivalent of like New York to Philadelphia. To get one record, then the guy's not in. Come come home without it, and you and you, and you're so spoiled because you think I can't do my set without this tune. I need that tune. Like if you haven't got that tune, it's like it's pointless. You're so spoiled. You're like it's pointless me going to DJ because without that tune, I can't play. You know, and now you can if you. Where we have the advantage is we have we can remember something, and bang, we can like set it, and then you've got it. You know, so I've got all my dub plates, which we'll talk about later. I've got all that stuff all like converted, all ready to go. Oh, you're really ready. Okay, so let's get right into it. Okay, let's get right into it. First of all, I love the jackets, Jamaican colors. We all know that clean, ready. But but we we soft the hat as well for them. Yeah. All right. The Caribbean, the Caribbean has a big influence on what all of us do. You're Puerto Rican, you know, you understand that stuff, and you're Italian as well. And of course, Italy played a big part in what in our story as well. You know, big time, uh, big, big time. time for sure. Yeah. Okay. So for me, for me as a kid, um, in about in 1973, I got shipped out to Trinidad where my parents were from. Um, it's a very fun-loving place. Carnival's huge there. Um, my older brothers were like wilding in the streets of London in their seventies. Anyone that knows knows about the fun sets knows knew that my two older brothers were like heavy in the streets back in the day. So my mum was like, "You're not getting involved in that. Off you go." So when I went down there, imagine 1973. It's like all cool in the gang, funky stuff, and all that. Um, and my cousins were really into their music. Big up Angela, big up Tony. They were buying everything. And the brilliant thing about Trinidad is when they were having a party, the guys would go around in a van with the sound system and they would talk and announce where it was. There was no flyers. And they had the echo on it. And that echo, as you know, all DJs, when we heard that echo delay, that does something for us. So you could hear the sound at night. I would hear the sound system from the parties, like rumbling, like miles away. And I would hear like, you know, like James Brown, the JB, Philadelphia, um, OC Bista, Santana, um, Simande, who were from London, who were from London, who created Bra, which is like one of the, foundation baselines and house music. They're from London. So the message I mandate that was a huge record. So I'm like six or seven. And you remember they used to put the seven inches 
and then it would play one and then another one would like fall down well after a while i got to like know the labels you see the atlantic the polydor label with james brown's picture i knew that was a big one i saw the philly label i saw the motown i knew all of those so when of course when they go out they say don't touch the record yeah (laughs) don't touch anything get away from it sit your sit your back your boot down go sit down you yeah so i would just play play music and eventually um imagine like you know the new marvin gary record come out um bob marley is like how drake is now my cousin angela she loved bob marley all the ladies love bob marley so we were blasting music all day and my c- uncle is the coolest uncle he made the carnival costumes and he had the car with the booming system and he was just a, a fly guy so our house wasn't the party house but we always had like all the new music so so who was the selector in the house to get that music who was the guy well, brought- my cousin tony but what happened there was a show called there's a show on the radio and i heard this is 1978 i heard my first mix and i'm pretty sure that was by ted Correa, because this dj would bring back tapes from new york Whoa. and i heard i heard i will survive being double tracked that was the first time i heard that so that must have been 1978 and i'm pretty sure now that it was a tape of either ted Correa on ktu or whatever it is WKTU, yes, that was where he started. Yeah. So ninety, actually, for everyone to look this up, I know Ted Curry, a great guy, phenomenal DJ, great guy, really guy, great he guy. Won, great he went on to do the Sensation, the group, and he worked at Capitol yeah. Records for a while. But yeah, he did Sly Fox and he did um, right. Atomic Dog. At that, I spoke to him. Yeah, right. and he's a great, great, really great guy. So that was the first time I heard mixing, and I was like, it just blew me away. I was fascinated by it. But I'll tell you something interesting. When I used to listen to the radio, I used to take the bass out and bring it back in, just listening to the radio. You know, as a kid, when the music was played through the radio, I was already, like, working the EQ on the radio when I was, like, 10. I wanted to hear that, because when I used to hear the sound systems playing, when the sound systems all over the place were, like, stringing up in the daytime, they were, like, or if a guy had a big system at his house, I would go there. And you know, the Caribbean, we like to drop the bass out and then bring it back in. So this is how I wanted to hear. Oh, the wait, music. Hang, on, from- hang on, hang on. There's a question I want to ask you now. It's okay, very important. Sure. Okay. Because ra- reggae and cl- dub sound is, is, is yeah. something that comes from, you know, within. Yeah, yeah, Caribbean, yeah. Right. So... Why is that bass so in, important in that sound? Like, why? Okay. Explain that to well, me. I'll give you a little history, right? Back in the day, in the 1950s, they used to have bands on playing, like, you know, all the hits of the day, the Frank Sinatra and stuff. But the guys wanted to take a break to eat food. So during the time when they would take a break to eat food, the DJ would play music. But then they found that the bands were getting too lazy and it was too expensive, so they preferred to have a DJ. So the home systems, and then they started to make their local music. Mm. You know, 
we we like to grind and whine and move, yeah. But the music was very bass heavy. And whereas in New York they had more like advanced equipment, there was more money, there was more capital. These guys were making their own sets that were tweeter box, which is the um top, yeah. Then mid, and then the big bass. So to emphasize, sometimes to emphasize the, the song, it's all about the bass. People used to call it wake, as that sound got wake. Yeah. And then the delay was how you provided the room for the gap, because you played one song, then you delayed that out, then the guy would do the inside as we move one time, as we step and move. Easy, we'd watch the ride and the next song would come in. So then they like the sensation of all the treble and the mid and then the on the drop. Yeah. And what my feeling is, is the Caribbean community that were then in based in New York brought the same sound system and the house party culture because they weren't getting into clubs, same as in England. We couldn't go to clubs. So guys would have a house and it would be a blues party. So in the week it would be a normal house, but on the weekend the sound system would be based there and they would have a party for maybe two Friday and Saturday. These are places like Notting Hill and stuff. Now these homes are worth like five million, ten million pounds. But at this time a lot of black people from the Caribbean. And I have the same theory because I'm a real DJ enthusiast because before, like, Grandmaster Flash, his mum is from Barbados. Cool Herc is from Jamaica. Grand Wizard Theodore, his mum is from Jamaica. And then you have Grandmaster Flowers, who was using three turntables before Grandmaster Flash, before Francis Russell. He was coming out of the Caribbean community. So the whole loft party and the big sound system is coming from the Caribbean community. Because disco tech never had that bass-heavy music. Then. It was just like thing. But of course, like in New York, you had the Richard Longs and more development. But in the Caribbean, you had like, um, I mean, the first record was Love Money. Yeah. By Mo, what's his name? Yeah, that was that was a reggae DJ called Tony Williams. That he just did that, trying trying to make a New York record, right? Trying to make a disco record. So I sit to France one of those guys. They heard that Love Money Dub. T W Funk Masters. Yeah, the Funk Masters. <laughs> Sorry, I had to the think. For yeah, I you have to bear with me. And as soon as I heard D Train which came the year after, and Peach Boys and Rocker's Revenge, I said, these guys are listening to um, Funk Masters. Well, let me also clarify a little bit more. Eddie Grant's coming with some heavy oh, tracks. Well, this is what I'm... Let me just say this is important. My cousin, Ralph Robinson, he was the keyboard player for Eddie Grant. So we had an organ at our house. And he's a maestro. His son, Ralph Robinson Jr., he's the musical director for Alicia. He was Alicia Keys and Adele. In Keyboard Magazine in 2015, Ralph Robinson Jr., that's my 
he played in Reddy Garn. He was a keyboard player. And this is a this is a crazy one. One of my mum and dad's best friends, their son was in Central Line before Central Line. So we used to go to his house and they had instruments there. Steve, Steve Savari, yeah. He's a friend of mine on Facebook. We used to go there. They had the big speakers and loads of instruments. And my cousin, Raph, he always used to be showing me stuff on oh, the really? keyboard. Wow. I've got pictures with him. He played with Dion Warren. But he was Eddie Grant's main thing. And my whole thing is living on the front line, you know, with the organs and stuff. That's the template for Don't Make Me Wait. You know, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Also, if you listen to the, the Caribbean kind of vocal on Man Friday, like Jump, Man Friday, it's very Eddie Grant. It's very Brooklyn. It's very Queens. And, and records like Sol Makosa, they came out of like the Brooklyn um, Caribbean shop, those classics. Well, don't forget, Manu Tabanyo's record came from Africa. Yeah, it came from Africa. So it came out. So Walter Gibbons, I think, was the guy. Yeah, white so, yeah, Walter. Walter's, Walter. I never had the pleasure of meeting Walter, but you could hear from the jungle drumming. Yeah, but this is the so it's a hybrid of all that. We such a melting pot. But we were doing this stuff, man. We were doing this stuff. It's just the mixing. Those guys. It was one turntable. But as soon as I, uh, what happened for me was. Curtis Blow was doing a show at Dingwalls, believe it or not, and David DMX was his DJ. And I went down to see that shit, man, when I was like 15 or 14 or something. And I saw David DMX, you know, one for the treble DMX? Mm-hmm. I saw him cutting up. But the mixing, I learned, from, the mixing, I learned, I heard, I had a, a friend that used to bring tapes from New York. So it was all, this is the Shep Pettibone era of Kiss FM. 1981, 82, everybody. Round yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is when I was bang into it. Um, so I was already hearing the mixing. But then I saw, I was in the park one day and we had a DJ in London called Froggy. I don't know if any of the other DJs mentioned him. They've mentioned him a few times in the show. White when we went to New York during the music conference in the 70s, him and Colin Hudd and all these guys. And he went to the Paradise Garage and he built a big system. And he was one of the first guys mixing. And he was a great DJ, lovely guy, real trendsetter. But I remember being in the park one day and I was about 14. And these guys were saying about DJs. And some guy said, yeah, Froggy's good. And another guy says, no, but not better than Trouble Funk. And I heard these two words, Trouble Funk. And it it excited me. I was like, what's Trouble Funk? He said, Paul Anderson. He says, Paul Anderson, he's not as good as Paul Anderson. He's not as good as Paul Trouble. I said, wow, that's a cool fucking name. Excuse my language. I said, that's a that's cool right. name. That's your tell that you this. That's a cool name. And what Paul had was one of the first guys. He had the funky dreads. He was a dread, but he was playing soul. Long before Jazzy B and them. Even Jazzy B will tell you. Paul was the original funky dread. And he was doing the house party. He had the big system that was a reggae system. But he was playing soul and electro. And they had, at Electro Ballroom, they had roller skating. Just like, just like how Keith Scott would do the roller skating in New York. Paul was doing that. So it was all music, music, music is the answer. And 
um, Billy and Hip Hop Bebop Man Parish, all that stuff he was playing. So, like, I went there and I told him that I want to be a DJ, you know, and he was like, cool. He had Paul, he had his big joint hanging out his mouth. And you've never seen a guy so, I've never saw a guy as good looking, as charismatic he is. Oh, yeah, 100%. Talented. Great yeah. dresser. People that, saw, people that saw Paul later in later life, and he's eternal, will always live in my heart. I love you, Paul. Um, you never got to see the very best of Paul, because if you saw Paul 81 to 86, you, you're imagining Rick James in, in his pomp, you know, in terms of, like, charisma and shit, yeah? And I just used to look at his hands, move, and... I knew. So he used to play a few, uh, when he played the sound system, I would go and eventually I got to warm up for him. But God bless my dad, my love dearly, passed away in January. I got, can somehow convinced him to sign for T1200s for me. So I had my 1200s when I was like 16, 17. And, and you got to imagine, like clubs in London, they didn't even have that shit. Most of the DJs in London weren't even mixing. They would be using but Froggy and those soul DJs, they mixed in Pete Tong, my dude, love you, Pete. Those guys could mix, but they weren't they weren't like doing what New York style, you know, the underground, like the whole set mix. It was like they would segue from one to, to another. You know, like everyone knew that like don't look any further went into like ain't nobody. So they would do that as a mix and you hear it every week. They weren't doing what we were doing with, like, you know, you're forcing, like, one genre of music into another, you know. So very early on, by the time I came back to London in 1980, that's, I was obsessed with it. I used to, I, all the guys were into body popping and stuff, and I used to make tapes and take them. But I always became the DJ. I always became the guy with the tape. And then quickly after that, I had the turntables at home. I had no intention of getting a job. As you can imagine, at that time, it was a very difficult time, just like in America. We call They called 1988 the golden era in hip-hop. This is when Marley Marl was on the radio. You had a G-screw. Um, you had all the... You know, you know the movie Paid in Full? Yes, About I do. All the hustlers in Harlem and stuff? That's exactly what it was like in London. And I was DJing on a sound system called Rap Attack. And we were, he had the Alistair. He learned a lot from Grandmaster D because Houdini were recording at Jive for Jive, at Battery Studios in London. And Rap Attack sound system, they played at, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, is this good stuff, right? No, it's everything's good. You got to it. Yeah. So but there was a club called People's Club. It's a very famous black club. Like Marvin Gaye would hang out there, Gregory Isaacs, it was uh, in West London, in Paddington. You could play, it was an all-night club, they'd go until like eight in the morning, so any, anyone that was anyone would go there. If there was a black star in London and he wanted to go somewhere where he could have like Caribbean food, see like nice girls, they, I, I would imagine it was like the Red Parrot or like Bentley's yes. or something Very like that in New York, but ben with a touch oh, of like more like Bentleys with Kevin Willie. Yeah, more like Bentley. Yeah, more like Bentley. Yeah, but with a touch of like Harlem rooftop. Yeah, 
Westwood used to play there on the Thursdays, and by this time, like, you know, the sound system business in the Caribbean is serious. You got your sub it's war. It's war. Because, like, even now, you know, it's big business. You have a sound called Stone Love. They were the first sound system to, like, mix. They were, like, mixing um, in Jamaica. And it's all dumplings. It's all specials. It's all specials. They spend thousands and thousands of, to have exclusive. If you went to a, a dance in the Caribbean, then you're not just playing the music, but you're not exciting the crowd. They're just going to boo you, man. Right. They're just going to boo you. They're just going to boo you. They're, they're just say, lock him off, and the next sound will go. Go on. So I came with that same mentality. He's, he's yeah. telling the truth, everyone. This is really true. This is it's true. not like a joke. Yeah. See, I've seen them... I've seen them heckling, saying, "Say yeah. bloody blood clot." Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Blood clot. Crap. And when you play a great song, they fire a gun in the air. Yeah. Bra, 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 bra. Police have to come and say, "The guy in the stand will tell us, say, listen, we don't want the place to lock off. Please, no more gunshots.' Gunshots. Say that word. We also had liquid. We also had liquid to rewind, where people are spanging. You know, we brought all this culture, like, we took English people from not understanding what a rewind was to, like, being able to, like, you stop the record, you rewound it, and you started again, and people are screaming. So let me say this, everybody. When I first met Trouble, later yeah. on, he was mixing <laughs> house, and he would yeah. do... Boom. Yeah, of course. And that was yeah. the trouble funk days of him going yeah, to the house. Yeah, music. yeah, that's what I still think. But people love that stuff. But where what was good for me was I got a job. This changed my life. I got a job in record distributor because I had a really good reputation. Because how I made a living was finding rare records, and then I would sell them to guys like Trevor Nelson. That time he was called Trevor Manhattan. Told to sell everyone because I was the 12 inch man, I would knew all the 12. So, if they whereas in New York, let's do it conversion was huge in London, it was um, sweet thing. You couldn't find sweet thing on Vanguard for love or money, and I had four copies that was going for like 50 pounds, 100 pounds. Because if you had sweet thing, you could rock a party. So, like a reggae sound. There were certain tunes, rare tunes they needed. I mean, you needed that tune. And people would come to look to see what label you got on. And if you had it on a bootleg, they'd go, oh, soft. People <laughs> come into see. So I, I got a record. I, got a, um, I used to buy records off Abbey in Bluebird from the time I was 15. Like, and he was a really great mentor to me. And I got everybody, everybody that's Abbey Shaw. Before catch, yeah, this is pre-catch. Legendary guy, a big brother. I love you, Abby. I'll always be great guy. Always be grateful and, and humble by you. You, you were a great guy to me. Let me, let me come here. I got yeah. something for you. That's all I can. Come in the back. I can't show everybody. Come in the back. Yeah, come on. Give me stuff. He'd be like, you gotta have this. You gotta have me. Like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and and. That, was, that changed my life because Abby worked in the distributor as well. And within a few weeks of being there, 
first I was just stacking and labeling records downstairs. I loved it because I was getting paid and I was around records all day. And eventually, this is like 86, 87. You know, you had records like um, Burning Up Michael Johnson with Bruce Nick, Bruce and Frank Heller mix. So I was playing all the um, Willie Colon and all that stuff. I was buying this stuff in. And eventually I started getting on the phone to the distributors as well. So I was talking to the guys in New York. But eventually, after about two months of working there, my, my boss said, you guys should go to New York and buy records and bring them back. And we can sell their grooves. And I was like, wicked. So I got a chance. So I went home and I told my dad, you see? You see? I've only been working two months and I'm going to New York. What did he say? Right. What did he so say? He still, to this day, he always said, "You're gonna need a real job, boy." Well, <laughs> because you got to Abdul five <laughs> times platinum. This with and my dad's called Frank as well with his name on it. Yeah, but very nice. But you're going to need a real job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love because, the guy. Because in the Caribbean community, Caribbean. hold on. Yeah. He's got seven jobs. He's a postmaster, yeah, sanitation, yeah, doctor, yeah, exactly. nurse. Yeah, that's it. Now you're a worker. My mum was my mum was really into it. My mum knew, understood it, and she believed in me and my talent. My mum's more the party person. My dad's kind of like Tony Bennett, you know. My mum's was blasting the Bob Marley and blasting the Barry White. My mum, my mum could do a could out Barry White anyone. She's got love unlimited, all that stuff. Oh wow! And also, Lord Kitchener is a family friend of hers who did Sugar Bum Bum. And I give you a real touch: the melody line of Sugar Bum Bum. That line is in "Holiday" by Madonna. So I don't know if Jelly Bean borrowed it, but it's very clever. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, he comes because, of course, like he's down with you know the Zulu Nation and his music. History is deep. He's a big hero of mine. Um, I love, and he was a big influence on me also. So I went to New York and we we went record buying and we were at the distributors. So when I came back from New York, I went to Downtown Records. I went to Vinyl Mania as well, but I loved Downtown. It was a hot summer and they were playing the, the music out. Oh, this is when the early house was coming. But, you know, I was always playing underground from the disco and all that stuff. Um, so everything that was the Timmy Timmy Regisford influence now was coming through. When Shep Pettibone left Kiss, then I kind of became a WLS man. So I had a friends in New York, and I was like PLS, Marley Mal, Timmy, Marley Timmy. Um, I liked Riddler. I liked Tony. Good love to Tony. Massive respect. But Timmy Regisford's from Trinidad. He's from Trinidad. So there you go. Big up Trini. So we, we, we got, it's in us. And I also read that there was a club in Canada called the Ozone, um, Twilight Zone. That was run by Trinidadians. And that was the first like New York club. I didn't know that. In Canada. Yeah. <laughs> David Morales was their resident there. It's online. They had a Richard Long system as well. Um, this must have been the early 80s. They're an Indian Trinidadian family. They came to New York and they wanted to do their own party. 
So when I went to New York, when I came back to New York, I was just like, right, all I'm going to do is promote New York music. And this is when London was like in lockdown with um, Rear Group. And I brought my turntables from home into the store in Shepherd's Bush. And I started just playing it just like how they were selling it in downtown. No one list requesting records. I mean, we still sold T-Sweat and Anita Baker albums, but I was pumping out all, you know, the stuff on, I remember um, Fourth Floor, Tommy Musto's label, you know, Bamboo and all that stuff. Uh, Joe Church, Don't You Want to Be Mine and all that stuff. Wow. I was like selling, I was the only one selling that stuff. And, and we were distributing music records to everyone. So anyone that's saying, yo, I was playing it because I was importing it. I was like, it was my taste that was like bringing them in humbly, humbly, humbly saying mm-hmm. it, not, mm-hmm. not being arrogant. Um, and then guys like Colin Favor, God bless you, Colin. I'm going to mention a lot of DJs because I like to credit people. I like to give credit to people that influenced me and played a big part. So forgive me if I mention a lot of names, but it's really important. You have to mention it. Go ahead. These guys, their family deserve it. They deserve it. And it's not all about being manufactured superstars. Some of these guys really put in work and they were a big, great help to me and a big influence to me. But Colin Favour, he used to play at Camden Palace. And uh, I would imagine he was playing the style like my our good friend Justin Strauss, like what he'd play at, like Dance Imperial or Freddie Bastone, like dance orientated rock, DOR, um, alongside electronic. So he naturally gravitated to house. So he came in. Before I knew it, I had all the customers. Anyone that was into that stuff was coming to me. And then I knew Jazzy M was doing really house on the radio, but I hadn't met Jazzy, but I admired what he's doing because I was thinking, this is going to be my chance. If this shit blows, we're going to get these other guys up out of it because all those guys were still playing rare groove and no mixing. And of course, the clubs at that time, you couldn't get in. There were clubs that I would go to I never went to them and tried to get in. I just waited my turn until I was just perfecting my craft. And, I, and then Rene at Black Market, he was running Black Market in New York. And he had like Morris Watson and Dave Petroni with these games for him. And when he came back, he wanted to, he had the wag and the wag was like, like nails in the 80s. It was like the super trendy club. Anyone that was anyone was there. That's the way you could see, like, Wesley Snipes or whoever was hot in the 80s. It was the same in at the WAG. You could go there, you'd see Sade, Duran Duran, you know, anyone that was hot. Um, so he said, they asked around, is there anyone that can play house, like New York guys? And Steve Gervier said, yeah, there's a guy I know, he's a young kid, but he, he can play like Tony Humphrey, yeah? Um, but he said, all right, come down. No one else was doing this stuff. Um, Delirium played house, but I never went to Delirium because I didn't want to risk not getting in. Um, and I knew they were playing it as a international stuff. And people were saying, oh, house is popular up north. But we were already, but sound system, we, we were already playing You Don't Know and all that stuff. But it was a sound system theme. 
Um, so people didn't understand that that crowd already will bang into it. You know, like Ross Graham got to find a way. Oh, that sure. Was huge. That was huge, and that was a T Stock production. Only on Stop. Jump Street Records, everyone. On Jump Street Records, yeah. That was the a Jerry yeah. We had to find other tunes that went with that. So we were already playing that stuff. So by the time house music came, like Adonis and that, it was just a di- addition to that. It wasn't like we weren't force feeding it to people, like, okay, this is like this. Because in London, it was very much like that. They tried to do it with Go Go, Washington Go Go. Oh, yeah, but at that time, it was very fad because it was all like the Face magazine would do an article on something. They would go over, interview the guys, and then they would come and launch it as like this new thing and they'd sell records. Pete Tong, bless him, a Don, knows his music inside out. He was well like on it, well on it early days. Um, so I was already DJing house and underground, New York underground, at the Rare Groove night at the WAG. And people, people were into it, but they didn't get it just yet. But I could mix and, like, chop it up and think. But then eventually they just said, listen, you should just take over. So the other DJ was gone. And I started playing. The, the rap and everything was no, no problem for me because I come from that background. And funnily enough, in 1987, they had the Death Jam tour. And Grandmaster J, Grandmaster T, Grandmaster T from Houdini, and Eric B, and the Randy Ibsen guys, and the whole Hollis crew, they all came to the way. So they came in the booth, and they were getting busy, and I was getting busy with them, watching them and everything. It was amazing. So from there, they had the idea to open Black Market. And Rene said, this stuff is going to blow. It's going to blow. It's going to blow. We're going to do a shot. Because he was well well into it now. And he said, I'm going to get you in the shop. And you're going to be the buyer. And what happened? Schumer started. But um, because the record promoter, did you meet Johnny Walker? Yes. he's Hang on. Let's let's take a break for a second. Get some water. Because I want to, I want to, I'm 